Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Today I'll be interviewing Daniel John Carey. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you'll receive alerts when new episodes are available on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, please leave me a review on iTunes or Spotify. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Ohio, in Cleveland, in um, a neighborhood with lots of people, children and families. And it was a almost kind of, um, well, there's a lot of uh, older houses mixed in with a lot of trees. <laughs> yeah. So what was your experience like growing up in the Midwest? I... Um, loved the outside the outdoors the trees i spent a lot of time outdoors um i had a garden starting when i was seven i grew food starting when i was little i actually i took a class that was offered through my school where they taught us how to plant gardens the the school had a garden area so i got into that and i still garden my whole entire life i grow food but um the midwest i didn't like the winter so much <laughs> cleveland <laughs> very flat so there's nothing much there's no skiing there's a place to go tobogganing but that was at a distance um but the i love you know there was a river nearby about two miles away so we'd walk down there some of my friends and i and we'd go swimming or we'd take inner tubes and float down the river and stuff like that uh but my family life was very contentious so i like to stay outside and that was apparently what my parents preferred to just stay away and i often even slept outside without even people knowing um so i was very connected to the outdoor world and there was an abandoned farm that was turned into sort of a city park and uh the they cleared out most of it and had baseball fields and stuff but there were a lot of the woods left and there were um, fruit trees and berry bushes and stuff so I ate a lot of fruit for free in the summer and I didn't have to go back to the house and uh, that was my experience. Wow that sounds like rough uh, to sleep outside because inside is so contentious. What what was it how would you describe uh, your experience growing up in such a dysfunctional household? I always was stressed out about being around the house or near the house or in the house or even family members being um, anywhere around because I was definitely uh, in large families there's when there's someone who's abused it's usually one person it's focused on and apparently I was that person and I was the youngest of six boys. Plus there were a couple of girls and um, I, I was always kind of, when I was outside, I felt better, <clears throat> but I often was focused on protecting myself and strategizing what I would do and knowing where the exit was and stuff like that, because things could get out of control very quickly. Um, very, uh, it could be violent very quickly. There was a lot of um, not such, well, mental health problems and alcoholism and 
stuff like that going on and regret. When I was four, um, the, before I was four, it was a lot different. We lived in a different house. Things were much better. Um, my mother made money as an opera singer at weddings and funerals, and she had just recorded some uh, albums to try to get a manager. She had some producers interested in her taking to her to New York. But when I was four, um, and that's when she had her eighth baby. And then um, wow. my father was in a car accident. He was driving drunk by himself and he went through the windshield and he injured his brain. And then his personality after that was always not fun, very um, angry, frustrated, not happy, didn't really spend time with us at all after that. And then a few months later, my this explains it the rest of my childhood that's why i'm telling it. the a few months later my the house started on fire in the middle of the night and during that fire my mother fell down the stairs and she hit her head landing on cement and she ended up in the hospital for weeks and so she also experienced a personality uh, changing brain injury so after i was four and a half uh, the rest of my childhood was very um, dark and we had no aunts or uncles. My grandparents had died before I was born. Um, there was no outside influence and the house was out of control and we were poor and uh, our parents had lacked interest in us after that and we did whatever we wanted. So um, my brothers were out of control. I was more like the kid who was good but i stayed tried to stay away because i didn't like being a <laughs> you know randomly pushed or hit or shoved or insulted or i didn't really talk growing up mm -hmm. so um i had an unusual accent and i um i never spoke in the house really hardly at all and nobody ever had any conversations with me in the house in the family so i would go out and i would talk to other children and um, I really didn't know that I had a really bad accent until I was in high school. And um, more and more people kept commenting about it. And one of the teachers eventually uh, requested that a speech therapist come in for some of the students. And I was one of the ones that they came in and gave speech therapy to and taught me how to speak more clearly without such a, um, a bad accent that was hard to understand. <laughs> wow. That definitely explains um, what was going on in the household. Um, wow, you so you when you were telling that story about you um, not talking and you had difficult time talking and you know you had to go through some things to become better at speaking because of all the trauma you were experiencing. Um, I thought of Maya Angelou. You, uh, I don't know if you ever heard uh, her story, but I heard an interview that she said she stopped talking for years because she had um, a traumatic event and no no one thought she knew how to speak. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. My brother, who was a year older than me, who was also badly abused, um, he basically stopped talking when he was a child. I I shared a bedroom with him until I was 16 and we stopped talking when I was nine and I rarely ever heard him talk at all his whole childhood. He died as a, an adult um, in a tragic way 
Um, but yeah, he was also in that situation where he didn't speak much at all. We weren't, we were the two who, um, basically we weren't, I mean, I, I laugh, but it's sick and dark. I know, but, um, we weren't wanted and my parents really had no interest in us. And, um, there was also the situation where my brother who was a year older than me, uh, well, there was a different father, but we weren't supposed, that was never supposed to be mentioned. Oh, okay. Yeah. Family secret. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And how, um, how did your brother pass away? When he was, uh, in his early forties, he passed away. He starved to death. He, I left when I was a teenager and I never went back. And he stayed there and I had no contact with him. I didn't know anything really about him. And then um, I got, I eventually had some um, communication with my mother and she would email me sometimes. But one day she emailed me and she said that my brother died and I didn't know which one she was talking about. I thought it was maybe my oldest brother, but it was my brother who was a year older than me. And she just said that he, um, was in bed for two it was a very mysterious dark it's a very dark story but uh he apparently his whole adult life he never had a job and he lived in the house and he went walking all day and that was his entire adult life as far as i know wow yeah wow that's horrible so it was an extreme childhood and very dark and disturbing and um lots of abuse of all sorts and I left. Yeah. And when you left, uh, where did you go? I, the first time, well, I hitchhiked in the middle of the winter because it was so violent. I thought I was going to be murdered. And um, I hitchhiked to California in the middle of the winter when I was 16. And I saw the ocean and I thought I want to live here. So I went back and I sh maybe should have figured out a way to stay here in California. But I went back because I wanted to graduate from high school, which I didn't know was a total waste of time because I learned nothing. Um, but I went back and I graduated from high school. It was a very violent last year and a half of that. And I eventually moved. I worked in factories and saved money and I moved to California and I got an apartment in Westwood, which is a whole other story that's really complicated. But yeah, I came to California. And I had a brother who was going to be homeless. He was living out here and I didn't really know him. And so I basically saved him from that situation. But then he was an extreme alcoholic and that was a very abusive situation. And eventually I lost contact with him because he was a danger. So at the time you moved back to California, you didn't really know anyone there. No, I knew nobody. I, I didn't know anybody. I just needed to get away from Ohio. I didn't really connect with anybody in Ohio. Um, the, a lot of the children who I grew up with, they didn't seem to have any real um, life goals or anything that I connected with. I thought I had hitchhiked out here when I was 16 and I saw what it was like and it was something I just wanted to be here and not in Cleveland, including because there's um, no snow. <laughs> grow <laughs> food year round and i also thought i would end up working in the film and tv industry which i currently do so hearing just uh 
this is just the iceberg of all of the experiences that you went through in childhood. I know, I know it runs much deeper than what you're sharing, but this is a good snapshot of it. Why didn't you just continue on a, well, develop a destructive path and stay there? Because I can see how it would be easy for you to say to yourself, you know, this is what it is. I, you know, I can't do any better because you weren't learning anything from your parents. They were incapable of empowering you. So why did you become empowered to know that you could change your life? I always had interests in a lot of things. I was very creative. I liked to paint and draw and um, write. And I kept a journal starting when I was a teenager. And some of my story about my childhood is in my book, Dream Another Dream. And I talk about that in there specifically to help other people because I knew I know there's other people who maybe somebody listening right now is in a very, very horrible situation. They might be a teenager. They might be an adult. But I wanted to get the message out there that you can change. But um, I when I moved out here, I ended up being around some I saw what it was like with some people being very poor and some people being really wealthy. And I was in that mix and I ended up um, by some fluke. I, I was a friend of mine from high school um, came out here one day and he called me and I didn't, I was, it was a total surprise. And he came out here because his mother lived out here and she lived near me. I never, I met her once, but I didn't really know her. I didn't realize that was his mother. And I worked in, a, in a, a pet store. I was a dog groomer. And this woman came in and I realized that was my friend's mother, but um, I didn't tell her. But she ended up committing suicide. My friend came out here to clean up her apartment and I met her next door neighbor who is an agent casting director. And he's like, you wanna work on TV shows and movies? I could put you to work. <laughs> so I started working on TV shows and movies and there was a big strike in Hollywood and everything shut down. I was working a lot on different TVs and movies as a, a an, uh, an extra because I had braces and I looked really young so I was always cast as a high school student but um then there was a big strike in Hollywood and all the tv production shut down and I signed up with a temp agency to do office work and they um asked me if I'd be interested in working some in someone's private home because they need help in their office in their mansion and I said sure I'll do it so I went and I ended up working for Peggy Lee the singer and she ended up asking me if I wanted to move in and be her butler which <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know what to say. I asked her if I could tell her the next day. So I said yes. And I ended up moving in and being around these wealthy people like Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett, and all this stuff. She had me um, buy black pants and white shirts and wear those every day as the butler and make her food because I knew how to make food. And um, she had other staff, household staff, several other, like a houseman, a maid, you know, an assistant and all these other people who worked in the mansion, but I was in charge of the kitchen. And I ended up just seeing how people lived. And I saw how just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're happy. Mm. And just because you're poor doesn't mean you're unhappy. I knew some poor people who are very happy and wealthy, wealthy people who are very unhappy. And there was this woman who hung out in the kitchen with me. And I thought she used to work for Peggy Lee and she was just hung out at the house and was her friend. But I ended up, she used to hang out with me in the kitchen and help me like make food and do the laundry and chop vegetables and do the dishes and stuff. 
and we used to talk and she was always asking about my childhood. And um, one day, Miss, Miss Lee, Peggy Lee, asked me if I knew who she was. She said, you know, your friend's an heiress, don't you? And I said, I don't, what is that? And I didn't know what that even meant. I was very naive. And it turned out that was Doris Duke, the billionaire. Well, she was worth several hundred million back then. And um, I didn't know that I was hanging out with this wealthy, wealthy woman. And I realized after I quit, I found out who she was. She was on the front page of the LA Times. There was an article and I was like, what's going on? That's Doris. <laughs> but uh, So I read the article and I was like, wait, I was hanging out with someone who was worth like $700 million doing laundry and cutting vegetables. But um, she was very unhappy. Uh -huh. I was like, wow, if she's unhappy. So it's up to you to make your life what it can be and, you know, tune into your talents and your intellect and your skills and develop yourself. And don't think that people who are handed, apparently handed everything are the happier ones or the most together ones or even comfortable in their own skin. Um, some of I'm sure are, but I was exposed to people who absolutely were not happy and they had all the money, the wealth that someone would want, but they weren't happy. And um, I wanted to develop my life in a way that I used my talents and skills and all that stuff and hopefully have happiness in my life. <laughs> and, <laughs> that, that, I mean, you couldn't write a better story than what you just told me because how on earth do does someone just ask you if you want to be in, you know, TV or whatever. Why did he even ask you that? Because of the way I look, blonde, young, braces. I could play a high school student. He was booking background people on TV shows and movies, and he was always looking for new people to be on the TV shows. And um, that's how that happened. And then I also lived near the comedy store in oh. Westwood. And um, I would hang out there, even though I was too young to even get in. You're supposed to be 21, but I was 19 at that time. And I ended up meeting a lot of people who eventually became very famous. Like um, I used to hang out with Arsenio Hall. And the weird thing is that he was living in his car at that time. Really? And, and then we were talking one day and we realized that I had met him. He was several years older than me. I met him when he was young. When I was young, I was like 10 or 11. I was 11. And he was... I don't know, 16 or something. And because um, a friend of mine whose father was an alcoholic, we went to try to find his father in this awful, awful part of town in Cleveland. And um, my friend Tom told me, oh, this Arsenio kid, he's going to start telling you about how he wants to have a talk show. And I didn't know, <laughs> like, what? And so I ended up talking to Arsenio, this kid, this teenager. And yeah, he started talking about he was going to grow up and he was going to have a talk show and he was going to be like Dinah Shore. And Merv Griffin, and I didn't know it. I was 11. I'm like, okay. But years later, like not even 10 years later, here I am living in LA and he's living in his car trying to be a comedian. And we're hanging out at the coffee, at the comedy store. And, and we realized we knew each other, but then I lost contact with him. And several years later, when I started watching TV, I barely ever watched TV my whole adult life, but I was watching TV at a friend's house and I saw Arsenio had a talk show or something. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. that's, that's amazing because he was saying those things even though he was a teenager and he it seemed to be far away 
from doing what he wanted to do, what he was saying. And you were seemingly far away from what you're doing right now, although you were honing those skills of writing in your journal. Yeah. You you know, and did you know you were a writer? I didn't. I actually did really badly in school. I always got barely, you know, almost failing grades and everything. And somehow they just kept passing me to the next grade. And the teachers often were amazed that I could even, (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) they were confused by my accent. They were confused by how I could actually read out loud perfectly but I had no idea what I was reading and I I started reading being able to understand my reading when I was in eighth grade because I got a newspaper route and I started I was listening to the radio while I delivered newspapers and I realized the news stories I was listening to were the same stories in the newspaper so I started being able to read the newspaper and understand what I was reading but um I another thing that and I thought that writing a book would be the coolest thing because I started reading books and I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world to write a book. And so now I wrote Dream Another Dream and I have the screenwriting book that I wrote and I have some other books coming out this year, this month, a new book. But um, one another thing that happened is when I was living in that apartment in Westwood, there was this guy who used to hang out, Tony. And he was he was broke and he didn't know what to do with his life. And he was really he was six, seven or something. And he was overweight and he was sad and he would come by and we would hang out and he would talk. And um, one day we were talking about how it really doesn't seem to matter what you look like because there's people who look like runway models and they're homeless and they're all messed up on drugs and whatever. And then there's people who would, you know, apparently never be hired as a model and they're wealthy and they're driving really nice cars and all that stuff. So it did, it didn't appear to be appearance your physical structure it's more about how you think and um that guy tony eventually wrote a book called awaken the giant within and his name is anthony robbins and he's now (laughs) worth over 600 million dollars wow so it really has to do with your mind your thinking what you do with yourself keeping yourself clean nutrition exercise motivation self-education and we have access now to every kind of etiquette you could learn anything now because there's classes on the internet youtube university is is available to anybody with an internet connection true you just have to have that desire to do um you you started a writer's workshop called screenwriting tribe what inspired you to you know start that and you have over a thousand members I was, I eventually got involved with writing screenplays. I fell into that too, because I was living in a house that I rented. And then I met this producer who had an office nearby and he asked me if I wanted to read, I was at a Mexican restaurant. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to read some screenplays from him to ask him to, so he could ask me what I thought of them. I, so I started being a reader for him. And then I got jobs working for a couple other producers reading screenplays and i i always wanted to write a screenplay i had written a couple screenplays but they're really badly formatted and i eventually worked ended up working at united artists mgm the studio and i um ended up working as an assistant one of the assistants to john Kelly, the president of united artists who eventually ran sony studios but before that he ran warner brothers studios 
But um, when I was working for him, he I saw how he would choose screenplays just by flipping through them and seeing how they were written visually, what they looked like, if they were like filled with massive amounts of words or if they were cut down to like a lot of white space and easier to read. And he didn't really want to read the ones that were badly written. He said, if the writers aren't going to spend the time to polish their screenplays, I'm not going to spend the time to read them. And so I got interested in that. I wrote a couple more screenplays and then um, some big people got interested in them. And then those didn't get made. One got financed and then that fell apart because the producers started suing each other. And I eventually started helping other people with their screenplays. And I was a member of another workshop and they had too many members. So they wanted another work. And I helped run that workshop. And so they thought I would be a good one to start the other workshop. And I did that. And that was seven years ago. And um, I started it. And then I wrote a book about screenwriting because I learned so much about screenwriting. And I used to help people write books. I was a ghostwriter for a lot of authors. And so I wrote my own book, Screenwriting, Screenwriting Tribe, and that's on Amazon. And now it's used as a textbook in some film schools. <laughs> and uh, my, my screenwriting workshop had now grew to over a thousand members. And we have two workshops every Sunday for up to 20 people. And um, I help people write their screenplays and polish them and get them ready to show them to producers and agents and managers and financiers and all that stuff. Wow. So how... Wow, it's amazing the different things that you've done. I mean, you just evolved through. Do you find it easy to connect with people a little better now? Yeah, I'm um, very, <laughs> I'm very social. Uh, that's one thing that the the COVID th when the COVID shut everything down, I didn't know what to do with myself, so I wrote and I finished Dream Another Dream, which is a book I had been working on for years and years and years. That came out last summer. Now I have another book coming out this month that's a follow-up to this book and a couple other books coming out this year. But um, yeah, I just, I'm very social. I'm around a lot of people. I'm kind of the ringleader. I've always been like with my friends, like let's go camping and let's go this, let's go do that. Let's go to this restaurant, let's go hiking. And so I'm always the person who um, kind of gets things, people to do things. And so you're, you're the front man <laughs> in your friend group. Okay. And and you also had a, a parenting magazine. When I was in, <laughs> yeah, when I was in college, I worked for a small newspaper and selling advertising and doing all sorts of stuff. It was basically do everything, help the, help the publisher. There were maybe eight employees and we all kind of ended up doing everything. And this newspaper came out twice a month. It was uh, in Woodland Hills and the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles. And once a month or every two weeks, there would be a, um, a special or maybe once a month, there would be a special insert and featuring some like one month, it would be about financing. One month, it would be about real estate. Another month, it would be about something else. And one day, the, off, the publisher asked me if I had any ideas what the insert could be for the next month. And I said, what about what to do with your children for school? Because summer's coming for summer because summer was coming up and we could do an insert about what to do with your children for the summer. So we sold 12 pages of advertising within just a couple of weeks. And I got the idea where, oh, I, we could have, I could have my own parenting magazine. And so I got a financer and I started that and then I sold it. And then I ended up working for newspapers and or news weeklies in Los Angeles. One was LA Reader. 
and then New Times Los Angeles. And um, then I ended up working for Backstage West, which is the at weekly, the biweekly acting newspaper. That's not a business. But yeah, that's how that happened. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So what how can people contact you if they wanted to, you know, work with you in any way? Well, the screenwriting workshop is on meetup.com. It's called Screenwriting Tribe, and they could click on there. And then I'm on Twitter, um, Daniel John Dijon Carey. My nickname's Dijon because Daniel John is are my first names. I was called Dijon since I was a baby. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Okay, good. Dijon like the mustard. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know it was mustard until I was 11 and some girl called me Dijon mustard, Dijon mustard. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Well, what is your one to grow on? What valuable piece of information would you like to leave our audience with? Uh, you can use your power and your energy and your intellect and your yearning and your skills and your, you know, to create the life you want that's right for you and live your life, not someone else's. Tune into who you are. You probably already know who you are. Just tune into it. Develop your skills. Study hard. Work hard. Eat a clean diet that affects your brain and all your tissues. Exercise every morning and create your life. Thank you for listening to The New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, The New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflournoy.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.